0: to a uh, special Seattle International Film Festival edition of The Francis Farmer Show. Uh, my name is Sean Gilman, and I'm joined by much of the Seattle screen scene team. Here we have uh, Melissa Taminga. Hey there. Uh, Evan Morgan. Hey. And Ryan Swen. Hello. And we have all been watching movies from SIF, uh, from which is uh, I believe today is the midpoint of the Seattle Film Festival. It's day 13. Sigh. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> uh, Midway
1: through the marathon.
0: Yeah, so we thought, uh, we thought now would be a good time to kind of check in and see, uh, kind of talk about what some of the things that we have seen, uh, some of the stuff we liked, some of the stuff we did not like, and then we'll do another one of these when the festival is over, which I... I believe will end someday. (laughs) I have have faith that this is not going to go on forever. It just feels like it. So uh, how are you all doing and how has Sif been treating you? Evan? (laughs)
2: Uh, It's been okay. Uh, I have been watching a few things, uh, maybe less than I thought I would, but there's something about the length and uh, sort of infrequency of the screenings that makes this festival seem exhausting, even when I'm sitting at home avoiding going to see films at the festival. So it uh, seemed maybe a little bit less than I thought. Uh, and most of the things that I've seen, I haven't really liked that much, so it's not been my favorite festival so far, but there are 13 more days, so yeah, that's there's... a lot of time to improve.
1: You never know what's coming. Is this your, did you go to the CIF last year, Evan?
2: Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Seattle, so I've been to many a CIF uh, in my time. Okay. But this is your first time covering it? Yes, this is my first time with a pass and not just sort of cherry picking the uh, screenings that I want to see. So, yeah, it is a slightly different uh, experience covering it,
0: so... Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you, Ryan? This is also your, your first
3: time covering SIF. Uh, this is my first time and my second time attending. I attended last year and I grew up around here and I lived here for five years, but I don't remember ever going to any of this any uh, festival screenings. then. So this is my second and it's been going all right. I've definitely been going to a lot less than I had planned. Uh, I had a very ambitious uh, calendar set up, which I absolutely ruined on I think the second day and but it's but uh, the movies I've been seeing have been fairly good I deliberately picked ones that I thought I would enjoy and for the most part I've enjoyed them so it's been okay it's been uh, I, I saw I've seen a relatively good pace but it hasn't been too frequent. Right on, and, and Melissa, you are
0: you are covering uh, covering stuff from our remote outpost in Bellingham.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. So I um, last year I did go down once um, because I I really had to see Sunset Song on the big screen, so that's why I was down last year. But this year I um, just decided to it would be easier to stay home, so I was going to watch a ton of screeners, but I've watched a grand total of three. Screeners <laughs> so mm-hmm. far, um, but at least two of the three are are well. Actually, all three of them I think would, are definitely worthwhile. And I did choose um, films that I, you know, I read a few things about them, and I and I hope that they would at least be ones that I would be glad to have seen. And I and I would definitely say that that's the case um, so far. Um, I did try to look for some female filmmakers, and um, the two. That I've two of the the films that I've seen by uh, female filmmakers are were really good, and um, they're both feature debuts. So that was that was kind of nice to um, to see that happen. So so far so good. Three out of three.
0: <laughs> Hold on. Uh, what about
1: what about you, Sean? Uh,
0: this festival is. I, I I have mixed thoughts on on CIF this year. Like on, on the one hand. Uh, I think it's been I think it's been run very well. Like I've been going I've been going to a lot of screenings. Uh, this year It's just kind of worked out with like babysitting with the the schedule that I'm able to like go at nights and everything. And for the last few years, there have been like some weird SIF like, like technical malfunctions or organizational problems. and there's been none of that this year. Like everything is is starting on time. we're getting in. There's been no screw ups with like projection or anything. So, like logistically, I think the festival's been run run really well this year uh, I think the the movies in general uh I have been kind of lackluster uh, at least compared to last year and and the year before and uh I think there there are a couple reasons for that, um mostly because like the uh the archival programs the last two years have been really strong, and this year it's just kind of meh. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because I just have no interest at all in the in the Marseille trilogy, which is like their big <laughs> archival thing. Well, it's just uh, such a long commitment to yeah sit down for those. Yeah, or, I saw the first one, but I missed the second two. Yeah, I mean, and and two years ago it was the Aku trilogy, which is like amazing, mm-hmm. and we got and they played them all mm-hmm. all three in a row, and. So, like, me and, me and Sina, like, sat in the Pacific place and watched, you know, one after the other after the other, and that was, like, a really cool experience. And then last year they had, like, you know, Chimes at Midnight, and, uh... Mm-hmm.
1: uh they had a Douglas uh,
3: Sturk film,
0: like... Yeah, uh, uh... Dragon Inn. Yeah, they had Dragon Gate Dragon Inn, they had the the Lubitsch yep. uh, Heaven Can Wait, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Chinese film, uh they played last year the big road was like really awesome and, and oh yeah it's a great movie their chinese film they uh their archival chinese film hasn't played yet it's a uh, it plays next week so yeah. you know at this at this point in the festival it seems kind of lackluster uh Last year, uh, there was already Sunset Song, which was like one of my favorite mm-hmm. films of last year, and, and Love and Friendship, which was one of my favorite films of last year, and like A Bride mm-hmm. for Rip Van Winkle, which was really cool, and then like Chimes at Midnight, oh. which is amazing. And uh, this year, it's been kind of less exciting. Like most of my favorite films this year are stuff that like we saw in Vancouver. <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I had yeah. not gone to
2: Vancouver, this would maybe be uh, a more. Thrilling selection of films, but uh, yeah, having seen a lot of those already, yeah, kind of dwindled mm-hmm. the, the
0: options a bit. Yeah, but on on the other hand, I haven't really seen anything bad. There's just been a lot of like this. This is a good. Well, movie. Sean, this is this movie is fine. <laughs> I, I I like this. It's okay, but no, nothing has made me angry yet at this festival. Which either either on, either on like the management side or the movie side. So you know i'll, well, I'll, I'll take it <laughs> <laughs> the high bar you set here yeah so
1: yeah there were some terrible introductions last year or at least one i think oh that my really god about yeah. Yeah. And, and, that one. Been, yeah and
0: that uh that individual is no longer with the festival and you know i'm not Did we know that hey. for sure he's yeah he's nowhere near the uh like the list of programmers where he was last year and he's not mentioned at all. You've seen no sign of him. And I, you know, I don't want to take credit for that, but, uh, <laughs> and I certainly, you know, the Johnny toe titty incident will live in infamy. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't you know, want to be responsible for anyone losing their job. You know, that would be awful, but uh, yeah. There's been nothing like that. Like all of the introductions yeah. have been really cool. Like the Q and As have been very, very professional and very competent. The the couple that I've seen, so you know, it was cool. I saw Aubrey Plaza. I was like in this like hey. five, four rows away mm-hmm. from Aubrey Plaza, and that was cool. <laughs> it was like the <laughs> biggest celebrity I've seen at SIF ever. <laughs> ever? Yeah. The the, previ- the previous big biggest day, celebrity I'd seen was uh, was Chapman Toe last year, so. <laughs> okay.
2: I keep getting notifications about the Angelica Houston tribute yeah, so I always say. line yeah. up
0: yeah. for that uh, I'm, I'm good <laughs> yeah, Sif, Sif's, uh, who Sif chooses to to have as a, a tribute is always like fascinating it's basically like whatever whatever actor <laughs> would agree to come right,
1: yep. exactly. mm-hmm. whoever, was really a, whoever was
0: available who like has a movie that is <laughs> yeah. out <laughs> or is going to. Yeah. Be well, impact. and actually
2: that's how I felt about the like the archival films so far this year like it in other years it seemed like there was maybe a few things that were like paired together or there was like a purpose but this year it really just seemed like they kind of took whatever recently had a DCP floating around and decided that was going to be what they showed. So
0: yeah, and I think like the the best archival thing was probably cabaret, but they paired it with like this with like an actual cabaret act and i don't Mm -hmm. want to see that
1: (laughs) i want to go to a real cabaret i I, I, I
0: want i want to see the bob fossey movie i don't i don't care for live entertainment right exactly
1: (laughs) there was um there was a lois weber uh film yeah that's that's coming up that hasn't yeah
0: that hasn't come up that hasn't uh that hasn't played
1: i think that's next weekend okay
0: uh
2: yeah uh, i uh, watched that on a on a screener but i guess we can talk about it in round two but yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm looking forward to that one because it uh, the the opera that it's based on just got mentioned on the revolutions podcast as part of the Belgian Revolution in 1830 or prior to mm. 1830. So
1: is this one of your history podcasts you're listening to? Yeah, John?
0: yeah. The guy did the History of Rome podcast. and Now does one okay. on revolutions? Yeah,
2: I was in that podcast too. It's yeah. pretty good.
0: actually. Yeah. 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 So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited for that. But yeah, that that's coming up.
1: Yeah. H- hold, hold on that a second. Cool I think.
0: have a, a little girl talking to me when she should. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bring her on.
0: What? Yeah. Go to bed. <laughs> that
1: could possibly happen to me
0: too. <laughs> All right. She, she's. Why
1: is she still awake?
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, they just got home like right before I did. <laughs> they mm. uh, Rambunctious. Yeah. Uh, it's summer vacation.
1: Uh, Are they on break already?
0: Yeah. Well, oh, they're sorry. in preschool. Do you the conversation? Oh. Okay. She she's still in preschool, or she was in preschool. She's <laughs> into oh, okay. so okay. before Memorial. Day, okay.
1: So. Okay.
0: I forgot where we were. Oh, the the oh, mute girl of Portagee. Yeah. Yeah. girl. Yeah. 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 PG, yeah. 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 Uh, so that's coming up. Uh,
1: and then, the, what the Chinese archival film is that? The Love and Duty. Yes. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know anything about it, but I'm excited because uh, I'm I've like made it uh, my task for this year to watch more Shanghai films. So mm-hmm. yeah, and that yeah. The guy who the programs film.
2: all their their sort of like archival '30s Shanghai films was uh, my former film professor, actually, and he's pretty knowledgeable about that. Um,
0: yeah, is that like oh, the, cool.
2: the weird area the weird, the weird old guy? <laughs> yeah, he was old when I had him, and it, he's very old now. So I haven't seen him do an introduction in a while. His class was pretty good, uh but it's, you know, been a few years. So
0: Yeah, he he introduced like uh, he has good. Oh. uh Seattle U is where is Oh where Seattle I'm U. At. Okay. Uh he did the introduction for the big road last year and he seemed pretty kooky, but I, I haven't seen him around <laughs> yet this year. <laughs> So hopefully he'll be there for, for love and duty. Uh, yeah. If he likes it, it'll, it's probably pretty solid. So. Right on. Uh, so I guess we, we can kind of go around and, and talk about some of uh, the movies that we've seen that we want to talk about or mention. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a little unclear. Sif has like these annoying, uh, if you've read our site at all, uh, I've been fast aggressively <laughs> complaining about their their <laughs> overview, yeah. embargo policy, mm-hmm. which makes oh. absolutely no sense. It's the only festival I've ever heard of that actually embargoes movies, uh, let alone movies that have already played and been playing at festivals for right almost a year. Uh, we're still technically not allowed to write about them for more than 75 words. I'm not really clear how that applies to podcasts. So, we'll yeah. uh, just uh, kind of assume that it it won't matter, I guess. That's <laughs> a, my <laughs>
2: assumption. As is, if, oh. if they get this far in, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: no yeah. one will be listening anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, we're not going to give anything away, I'm, I'm sure, that is important. Mm. Or will hurt the business of the movies coming out. So, you know, whatever. Uh so who who wants to start? Evan, how about you start? Well,
2: okay. Let's start with the bright point for me uh of this festival so far which was the chance to revisit Hong Sang-soo's <laughs> herself and yours. Uh in a theater which was lovely because I think seeing Hong in a theater uh even though his films are not known for being particularly visually remarkable, though I I sort of uh, bristle somewhat at that, uh, that cliche about Hong, but uh, yeah, getting to see that again after seeing it at VIF was, uh, was probably my favorite experience of the festival so far. And I, I really like this Hong in particular. I think it's one of the more emotional Hongs for me. It has, it sort of lacks the, the structure that his other recent films have had that, uh, Sort of, I don't think it's necessarily like distancing, but this one sort of flows on the emotional wavelength of the main uh, female character of the film uh, more than his other films have recently, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Seeing that again was, uh, I think, rather moving. So, how
0: did the and funny? How did the SIFF audience compare to the Vancouver audience?
2: Well, the Vancouver audience, it, I saw it late at night in Vancouver, sort of towards the end of the festival. Uh, So the audience was relatively comatose, which was somewhat surprising. But uh, I thought the Zip (laughs) audience responded relatively well. I mean, there were, like, pretty consistent laughs throughout. And I don't think it's one of Hong's funniest films.
3: Uh, Anyway, so... I saw it uh, at a different screening. And the audience was, I'm assuming, was much less responsive. Um, There were, I think very few laughs uh, or very few mm-hmm. consistent laughs at the very least and I think the general atmosphere was one of uh, utter confusion. <laughs> there was a, a guy sitting uh, a few seats down in the same row for me he was with his friend and he was like apparently losing his mind at how confused he was at the <laughs> at the general at the general structure of of uh, and of Hong's intentions at at a few points, he put his head between his knees, out of just utter <laughs> irritation. And, and but I must say, like that, I think that added to the to the atmosphere a little for me, or it made me yeah.
1: uh,
3: feel even more uh, intently focused on it. And this is my favorite Hong of the seven I've seen so far. It it feels something like a a next step for me. Like I feel like. It unlocked something in Hong for me that uh, just absolutely uh, blew me away, and it was absolutely wonderful to to watch it. It was the first Hong I saw in a theater, too. Yeah, I, I agree. The, go ahead, John. Yeah. Uh,
0: no go ahead. I was just going to ask
1: what the what the what the what the kind of critical consensus on on this one is. Is this generally regarded as um, one of his
0: better? Uh, that, well, that's that's actually what I was going to say is it it seems like it's kind of getting okay. getting forgotten because yeah. mm-hmm. since since this premiered, I think at was it Venice last fall, like like I thought it was tiff. To... I'm pretty sure it was Steph. Okay. Okay. Well, right right in one of the September festivals uh last fall, uh he's released three other movies. <laughs> uh including like uh nice. on the beach at night alone uh which which won the uh the best actress award in berlin is yes. that correct mm-hmm. and then he yeah. and then he had two at uh at Cannes, which uh which just wrapped up uh and so yourself and yours kind of feels like it's gotten lost in the shuffle because those other films have gotten much more more press uh especially because they have uh uh, well, Isabel Bear is in is in Claire's Camera, and Kim Min Hee, who uh, the uh, big sc- scandal with uh, Hong and his wife and and Kim has been uh, uh, overshadowed. This the smaller movie that doesn't have mm-hmm. like the same kind of backstory to go along mm-hmm. with
2: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think that uh, it's a little bit more of a for Hong fans only experience, maybe. I think that uh, Ryan tweeted something after the movie about it, it being sort of a, hard to imagine it as like your first Hong experience. Mm -hmm. And I can kind of understand why uh, someone would be like rocking back and forth with their head between their knees in the movie (laughs) uh, with no prior experience with Hong. Whereas something like On the Beach at Night Alone, if you, you know, read a, Little press release about it or a little blurb and they give you the background of the scandal it's probably a little bit more easily parsable but
0: yeah mm-hmm. i mean even that one i would not recommend as your your first hong no unless, no unless maybe like you knew mark perenson
2: because <laughs> otherwise was the that, like, that, that knows that...
0: who mark perenson is that doesn't no, know exactly. just. <laughs> uh yeah i mean i think uh as far as that goes i think like uh right now wrong ben is is probably like a better intro to Hong
1: starting point mm-hmm. yeah
0: but mm-hmm. uh, like i do i do think Ryan Ryan is right like i think there is something like really special about yourself and yours like it's uh i think it's it might be his most romantic movie like the mm-hmm. one that most uh mm-hmm opens up a space where like actual romance between men and women is possible and it's only possible through like these like insane uh convolutions of logic that don't make sense but it is still possible uh Mm -hmm. whereas Mm -hmm. most of his other movies uh kind of uh conclude the opposite they don't really leave Mm -hmm. much hope for the for the couples in their films right Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah
2: and I think the structure of this one, insofar as it has a structure, even though it does have this sort of crazy looping logic, is basically like a a comedy of remarriage, yeah, fundamentally at its core. And uh, I think that's why I, I respond to this one a lot,
0: yeah, I, I suspect it, that that like this is a film that, like thirty years from now, uh, people are going to rediscover and rank it as one of the best tongs. but but for now, it's just going to kind of get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, that it's my favorite film at the festival so far as well. Uh, uh I had seen it before, I saw we saw uh I wrote about it for Seattle you know, Screen Scene. We got a we got a screener, I watched it twice and then so this is the my third time seeing it and I and I saw it with the same audience Evan did and uh it was it was very cool. It was the I think it was the first time I've seen a Hong film at SIF. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: uh
0: we saw um no, it was the first uh, Hong I've seen. Yeah, I don't. I don't
2: know that they've really played any other Hongs in in recent years, anyways. Uh, yeah, they played
0: the maybe the, going back
2: to the earlier stuff. But.
0: They played the Lee Kwang Kook uh, film two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but we only saw that on a Mike and I saw that on screeners. We didn't. We didn't actually go to the theater and see it with the SIFF audience. Um,
2: yeah, I did. There was not. It
0: was crickets. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, when we saw we I actually I saw it again at Vancouver later that year with an audience and, and they were totally into it. So yeah. That's uh that's the uh, for you. Uh uh what about you, Ryan? What is what's been your highlight of the
3: of the festival so far? Um aside from yourself and yours, uh I have to give a special mention to uh person to person, uh which was a uh, film that premiered at Sundance this year by Dustin Guy Defa. It's something of a uh, New York network film. It, it's constituted of, of five separate uh, plot strands, uh, some of which are interweaved together, some of which are not. They all take place on the same day in New York City. Uh, so, um, and they're, they all have disparate aims. One follows a... Uh, one follows a news, newspaper aspiring runner played by Abby Jacobson and her boss uh, Michael Sarah as they try to uh, cover this news, inve- uh, this murder investigation or possible murder investigation that uh, in- eventually involves Philip Baker Hall as a watchmaker or watch repairman. So the, that's the. That's the plot strands that are most uh, clearly threaded together, and then there's uh, a record collector played by um, Benny Coopersmith, who uh, is trying to find this rare vinyl of Bird Blows the Blues by Charlie Parker, and well, his his roommate who uh, ha- who is uh, being pursued by. Uh, his girlfriend's brother for posting uh, nude pictures of her on the internet after uh, getting in a fight with her. And the last thread is of uh, a high school student played by Tavi uh as she interacts with her friends and uh, tries to figure out her own sexuality. And it's a very, uh, just a very nice film. And, and like with very modest aims, like it, doesn't attempt to say anything about about the city other than to simply portray it, and it does it in a. It, it just has uh, so much compassion for the for the various characters that play, uh, It portrays and the people that they interact with, and it just feels uh, like a celebration of sorts, which is literalized in the ending, which is a, a dance party. Yeah, I just I just saw that this afternoon
0: and uh if I had to give it a number on the D'Angelo scale, it would be sixty nine <laughs> because it is nice. I also, I also, How I also, long
2: did you work on that one
0: before we I, came I, on it? I, I thought about that while I was eating my sandwich between movies? <laughs> all right,
2: I think we can wrap this up now.
0: good. No, it is it is, it is it is a very sweet movie. I think uh You know, I, I called it, I called it nice. I called it very pleasant on Twitter and, and it is Mm -hmm. that, uh, I think there, there is, that's not to say that there isn't kind of a a darkness underneath Mm -hmm. it as well. Uh, but just the whole kind of feeling of the film, just the way that it looks, I'm, I'm not sure what he shot it on. It looks like, it looks like 16 millimeter.
3: It was 16.
0: Yeah. Uh, it just has that kind of, of warmth to it that, uh, is is there in in the performances and in kind of the the way that the narratives never really uh, go completely dark you Mm -hmm. know although the the teenage girl the where she ends up is is unsettling it's like this one unsettling Mm -hmm. note uh whereas kind of like michael Sarah's character is is unsettling but like comically Mm -hmm. so uh, mm-hmm. just... He's you know, pathetic. Yeah, just the, the <laughs> her, her final scene uh, is, like, this little, like, unnerving moment that, that makes the film, I think, somewhat more interesting than just, like, a pleasant diversion.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I, uh, I thought it was fun to watch, uh, and it, it is relatively funny, but there was a sense that I had that it's sort of niceness... Uh, it's niceness came off a little bit as an affectation to me. Like there was something almost studied about it constantly communicating that it's a a loose movie that uh, I think didn't want to make the big statements that it it could have tried to make about New York or whatever, as Ryan was suggesting. But uh, I I found it despite its modest aims, maybe a little bit disingenuous in
0: uh, and what it was trying to do. Like a like a forced modesty?
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it means I think that uh, Dustin Guy defa comes across as a very smart filmmaker, and I-, I guess I could just see the seams of him sort of constructing uh, maybe a more uh, tight, controlled kind of network narrative movie, and then... Taking a few pieces out to not have the stories connect because lots of other network mo- network narrative movies have the stories all intersecting. So this one has mm-hmm. two that just don't, and you know lots of other New York movies uh, have a, a similar kind of look, but he maybe burnishes it uh, a little bit more than some of other some other sort of American indie films uh, by shooting it in in rather lovely sixteen millimeters. So I don't, know, I had nothing particularly against the film. But uh, I found that I wasn't quite as enveloped, I think, because of that, by the warmth that I think it does want to project. But I do think you're right, Sean, that there is a sort of undertone of violence to the film. I mean, the, you said that the we only have that one story that really touches on darkness at the end. But the other story does... Uh, sort of end in a a dark place, even if the perspective of the characters that we're seeing it from, uh, the Michael Sarah story, uh, is sort of comic still uh, in their little world. But they sort of touch on a, a tragedy as they go about their
0: uh, daily business. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's played it's played for laughs, but he's like a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> just in the way that yeah. he that he treats Abby Jacobson like throughout the entire mm-hmm. film, he's just he's pathetic, but he's also terrible. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I don't know that the movie like lets him off the hook by playing it for laughs. But yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. There is something more to it there than just being funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: So struct- yeah. structurally, does does you kind of return to the the different threads sort of throughout, or is it? You, yeah. you Start with one and then leave. It's a very okay. balanced.
3: It's very balanced in the way it, it yeah uh, it between them. It's like it's like a
0: like magnolia or shortcuts. It just kind of cuts mm-hmm. between the okay. different stories yeah. and and you expect mm-hmm. it to build to a point where where like everyone meets or everyone's connection is clear and it just kind of peters out and and doesn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there, I was sort like, of. Like, uh, oh, go ahead,
2: Melissa. Is, is
1: there a thematic... Sorry, is there like a thematic sort? I mean. Overarching, or is it just like here are some people living their lives, and it happened to be New York, or like, what's the? <laughs> I mean, I what's, at
0: the at this the closest it gets is like love. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Which, <laughs> like you know. We yeah. all experience and bonding. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like person, you know, interpersonal relations, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But it's not. With, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's more like kind of variations on a theme rather than like a, a statement about
3: you
1: know yeah you is that kind of what you meant then Evan like it's not they're just like here I'm here are some things but I don't want to make go too far in making some kind of a thesis or some kind of a
2: yeah I mean I think it in a way by not really committing to anything it's not committing in order to project its sort of amiableness but by not committing, I think it sort of ends up doing itself a disservice maybe. Uh, and, and sort of shows that I think Dustin Gaidefa may be a little too uh, cunning for his own good and how he constructs this film. I, I guess I sort of was initially surprised too. I had heard that the film had these stories that didn't really intersect. And when it started, I sort of thought they were going to be more like discrete short stories. And mm-hmm. I do kind of wonder if I would have responded to the film more if instead of this balance that it tries to go for of bobbing back and forth between the stories if each one had played as its own narrative and had sort of concluded uh, before we went to the next story. Uh-huh. Something about the structure of it just
0: didn't quite, didn't quite land. Mm-hmm. Right on. Uh, how, about, how about you, Melissa? What is your, uh, what's your highlight so far?
1: <laughs> My highlight of the three that I've seen. Yeah. Um, well, the first one I saw is probably the the highlight, um, and this is a film by Amanda Carnell. Who this is her uh, first film. She did uh, a couple of shorts before this, but this is her first feature. Um it's a film called Sammy Blood, um, and it's a Swedish film. She herself is a Swedish Sammy. Um, and she wrote and directed directed the film. It's a it's a it was inspired by her own grandmother um, and, and essentially kind of her grandmother's experience. Um, and the impetus behind it was to sort of reconstruct this the little known discrimination against uh, this semi nomadic reindeer herding uh, community of Sami people in. 1930s Sweden, and the film uh, centers on a teenage girl from the the Sami community. It's this they're this indigenous um, people that were there long before um, what you might think of as your quote unquote Europeans came uh, to Sweden. But it centers on a teenage girl from that particular nomadic um, community, and she goes with her sister to a Swedish boarding school. Um, she's at first quite excited to go. She's drawn to the promise of this outside, um, other world beyond just reindeer and nomadic living. But she pretty quickly realizes that the Swedish running the school and those kind of surrounding the school um, in the Swedish community think of the Sami children as as lesser human beings, if not uh, subhuman, and they're they're kind of treated as such. So, the story is really about this girl's really desperate attempt to fit into the Swedish community and hide her roots and her origins, as it were. But it's quite painful because um, she becomes a person who, in a way, belongs nowhere, not fitting into this dominant oppressive group, but also starting to be seen as a traitor of a kind by her own family in the Sami community. Um, Knowing about the film a little bit before going into it, I read a little bit about it, um, and I was a little worried that it would be the kind of It's an issue-centered film because obviously it is very much about racism and the structures of white supremacy. But um, Cornell really, I think, beautifully centers the film on the personal and on the particular character and the psychological specificity of that central character. And she doesn't leave uh, issues of race and structural systemic racism behind, but she roots it in a particular person and in a particular person's um, desires, her story her state of mind. And um, Cornell did say that she didn't want the film to be a, quote, uh, educational film. She said she wanted to really explore the what she called the colonization of your mind. And um, she wanted to explore how some in the older generation of Sami people that she had seen um, had essentially rejected their own people. And the film does very much feel like an expo- exploration of how someone might evolve into a rejection of one's own personal history and community or ethnic roots. Um, and she she actually, in terms of the film structurally, she book, bookends the film with an older woman and a funeral. And then most of the film is a, a flashback to that woman's younger self. So that section fun- functions as an explanation of sorts of how she got to where she was or is as that older woman. Um, and then it ends really, really beautiful kind of beautifully... Um, not tidying up things because I don't think you can necessarily tidy up um, it based on the, the subject matter, but it it leaves you with the impact of what happened to the younger girl and the choices that she, she made, and also just the, just the childhood stress of of where she got to as an as an older woman. And I uh, the other thing, so that's just the story on the story level, but the, the film is also really uh, beautifully shot. It has a lot of intimate close-ups that remind, remind me a little bit of. Something like Lynn Ramsey in Rat Catcher, um, which I actually read later that she, uh, Lynn Ramsey's film filmmaking was an inspiration for for Cornell. Um, so she has these intimate close-ups on faces and 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 body parts. Um, she uses a lot of handheld camera, um, although not too much too much shaky cam. But and then those intimate close-ups are paired with these long shots, and that pairing of the close-ups and the long shots really invites us into the intimate space of character but also gives us a sense of how isolated and and lonely she is. And um, one other thing I wanted to mention about the film too is that the central um, character is played by a um, Sami girl herself who apparently the language they they speak is only a few hundred people speak it in in Sweden. She, uh, Cornell wanted to find um, an actress who Two sister actresses who were actually sisters and who spoke the language, um, and they are they're unknowns essentially. They hadn't acted at all, and the central performance is really beautifully stunning. I mean, it's um, it, it you're, it's completely involving. She's she's amazing in in the role. So, I would definitely uh, um, recommend this film, and and I think just as a as a debut, it's as a debut film. It's it's really quite impressive. So, yeah that was Sammy blood that's also- so is, I don't, is most yeah.
2: of the film in Sammy then the language or is it
1: it, it is it's kind of about about half and half mm. um, they're mm-hmm. not allowed to speak uh, Sammy when they're at the at the school that's kind of one of the the ways that they're essentially colonized and, mm-hmm. and, and oppressed mm-hmm. um, but but yeah you hear you hear the the, the language and then they also have this um, it's called Yoiking. Um, which I think is, we we often, I think yodeling is something that you, you hear as a equivalent of that, but it's Mm -hmm. this specific kind of chanting, um, that's specific Mm -hmm. to the Sami language and the Sami culture. So, yeah, it was also, it was just really interesting. I mean, I, I had never heard of the, the Sami people before, and I, um, so it, it was fascinating to, to get a little bit of a, a glimpse, um, into that, and then to read a little bit about the, the history. I don't know if, if you guys had heard of them, but I think no, lap, no. like lap people or Laplander, you may have heard mm-hmm. that term before. That's what it's, that's what it's. Um, oh, really? Okay. Referencing. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I guess uh, that term is, yeah. It's
0: derogatory is like a, like Eskimo to Inuit.
1: Right. Hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh,
0: so yeah, they
1: don't, they don't use that term to describe themselves, but yeah.
0: Yeah. That sounds, uh, I haven't, I haven't seen that yet, but it sounds like I should because I've been, Uh, Melissa, you and I have been reading Last of the Mohicans.
1: Yeah, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I spelled out a little
0: bit. I don't know. I, well, I'm 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 100 pages into it. I got I got 300. Are you? Day. Oh, good job. yeah. That's uh, my yeah. <laughs> so I mean, like, kind of indigenous issues and and colonization has been on my mind. So I, we're gonna yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk about this uh, after after the festival. We're gonna read last and, and then yes. and then talk about it. So I, I, it sounds like I should definitely watch this movie before. We do that.
1: Yeah, I would. I would definitely recommend it
2: for sure. Yeah, and Civit mentioned at their sort of press uh, release party thing that they had tried to focus some of their programming on uh, films from indigenous cultures uh, around the world, uh, and I guess that I sort of assumed that that was going to be a lot of the maybe issue focused type films. But yeah, I'm glad yeah. to hear this one has um, a little bit more uh, to recommend, perhaps. So. Yeah, yeah Evan and
0: I kind of got burned by that at, at VIF. We saw. Uh, oh, I can't remember <laughs> the. <laughs> I can't the remember searchers? the actual. The actu- yeah, uh, I can't yeah, remember yeah, the searchers. the actual title. It's, searcher, it's, it's, yeah. It, yeah, it's alternate title is Searchers. That's what VIFF is calling it, and uh, and okay. we both uh, and it's about uh, uh, Inuit people in Canada, and it's it's supposedly mm-hmm. a response to the John Ford film. But uh, okay. it has nothing to do with the John Ford film, either uh, Either like a misreading of the John Ford film or even like anything from, you know, <laughs> the plot or the story or, you know. Oh, no. It, do-
1: it
0: doesn't, it doesn't, it's not in conversation with Ford. No, not in the in slightest. In any okay. way at uh-huh. all. It's just, a, it's a story about a, a There's kidnapping land. and a chase. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and... You know, had it not been framed as a you know a response to John Ford, I, I think we probably would have liked it more than mm. we did. I, yeah. I I can't speak for Evan, but I just I, I just, think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a totally fine like chase movie. It's just it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with with race. <laughs> or, yeah, and, or and or when we saw it
2: too. They they sort of. Prompted that not just in the notes, but there was someone that spoke beforehand sort the, of talking the director. about the director very specifically. Uh he spoke after, did he I guess he did speak beforehand too. Yeah, you're right, it was the director. Yeah. About how he was he made it in response to, to the forward. So anyways,
0: yeah, that was Yeah. Yeah. Not did my Ryan, favorite. Ryan, did you you saw that here, didn't you?
3: No, I didn't. Oh you did? didn't okay. make it up. Alright. Yeah, you no loss.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, actually, I actually Don't warned a few friends off of it, so I, I just can't remember. <laughs> of people, but. Yeah,
0: but this sounds much better than that. Yes, it does.
1: Yes, yes, I think
0: so. Right on. Well, well, uh, staying uh, in the north, uh, one of uh, the highlights for me is uh, is Bill Morrison's documentary uh, Dawson City: Frozen Time, which. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, is more of like a traditional kind of narrative documentary than I had expected. I'd only seen uh, kind of experimental films for Morrison before. Um, but uh, basically, it, it tells the story of Dawson City, uh, which, is, uh, which was like the, the epicenter of the Klondike Gold Rush at the, uh, the end of the 19th century and, and into the 20th. Uh, it's a city in the, in the Yukon that just kind of mushroomed overnight and then became overtaken by, by prospectors and then within like 10 years had shrunk down into nothing again. And was it in the 70s, I believe? Uh, somebody was, yes, the 70s. was uh, excavating for like a new community center and underneath this old pool they found just piles and piles of nitrate film that had been buried under the old community center for like seventy years and and uh, they pulled it out and restored it and there's a, a you know a bunch of films that these are the only surviving copies of so Morrison uses this uh, kind of treasure trove of film to tell the story both of, of Dawson City and of uh, early cinema and just kind of the, and just the, the rise and fall of a town in the West, which is, you know, as it, as it shrinks down, uh, just becomes one of these towns that is all over, uh, the Rocky Mountains. It's, uh, it reminded me a lot of where, where my family is from in, in Northern Idaho, which is like silver mining territory. Uh, just these tiny little towns that had once been like robust centers and are now just populated by a couple hundred people. And totally forgotten yet when you when you trace it back you find all of these all of these connections all of these these things that are still relevant to the world today were, we're centered in this one forgotten location like uh you know it even connects to donald trump of all things Mm-hmm. Because like <laughs> yeah. the the Trump family fortune came about through the Klondike Gold Rush, like one of his ancestors set up a hotel on the on the route, and that's where they first got their money. Uh, so it's and he doesn't use uh, he doesn't use narration, but there's like a ton of on-screen text kind of telling the story what's going on, and it's all mostly illustrated by scenes from. Uh, these uh, rediscovered films and a few other films and hmm. kind of documentary stuff but a lot of it is just this nitrate that is in various states of decay which is kind of Morrison's thing he loves uh, just the fascinating patterns of, of film as it de- as it decays uh, which makes for like some some really striking images and and it, it just it builds to this like amazing you know you uh, conclusion where everything kind of ties together and the nitrate uh, spots kind of take on a life of their own. And it's really, it's really magical how he does it. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I like that movie a lot. Like
3: Ryan, Ryan should, saw it as well, right? Yeah, it should be noted that uh, that this uh, footage is especially uh, fascinating because the, the nitrate films were actually discovered uh, in like the swimming pool tank, if I recall correctly like they were they were uh uh they were discovered there and as a result there's ex- uh this water damage which is uh, very distinctive it looks like unlike any other kind of nitrate decay and the images are like rather beautiful in the way that uh they are obscured in a very striking way yeah
0: it's yeah. it's it's just uh it's, it's like a seemingly kind of simple story, but I just kept, I kept being struck by just how, how it could, you know, th- it's either that this, that this one location, this Dawson City is like the locus of so many uh, connecting threads of, of recent uh, North American history, or it's that if you examine any place and dig like deep enough in any location, you find those same threads and i couldn't i couldn't decide which side the film comes down on like whether everything is connected or whether this one specific spot
3: is special i think it's important that he delineates uh, like at like the uh, sequence the extended sequence just before the the title credits is this uh, retelling of the origin of a film and like he talks about the lumiere's the, the kinetograph and why not and the and the last note before is the description of the first nitrate fire uh, which uh, was fatal and like which produced multiple fatalities and this fire uh, recurs throughout like it, like so many of the theaters were destroyed and then rebuilt in Dawson City. And I think he's trying to su- suggest that it is uh, very uh, it is very specific to, to Dawson City, but that is a sort of representative of a larger whole that uh, has that effect to varying degrees.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's something, there's something you know fascinating about the history of of the West. Like all all of the cities here are 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 new, all of the towns are new. Yet they're constantly being destroyed and rebuilt. And mm-hmm. there's it's it's a place that doesn't have a history in any meaningful sense that we can like understand that is like recorded going back more than like 200 years. And yeah, I don't know that as, as a, a westerner I'm like really kind of fascinated by, by the subject.
2: Yeah. I was really uh, bummed that I wasn't able to make it to this one, but, uh, yeah, I guess I'm surprised to hear that it's sort of more of a traditional documentary because I, too, am really only familiar with his uh, more experimental films. Uh, but so do you, did, like, you feel his... Does he have a sort of strong voice in it? Or is it basically yeah. just contextual information that's being provided by the the no, cards? I guess um, I'm just thinking, it's, it's picturing it's, something like Adam Curtis making a... <laughs> found footage thing with the nitrate film or something wondering how ideological or
0: or whatever well i mean it's it's narrating kind of the facts of the story it's not uh not adam courtesy where he's kind of like explaining like a theory of the world he's just kind of Mm -hmm. laying out like exactly what happened and and juxtaposing things and having little asides like uh you know uh, as like a, a teenager, Sid Grauman was in Dawson City working, making money, and then he went to Hollywood where he built theaters. Uh, just kind of like weird, kind of factual tidbits like that, and just building this this whole story out of details. Uh, so, I mean, it could just as well have been on screen narration, but our uh, voiceover narration. But uh, I think I think Morrison just likes silent film it just wants it to remain silent film so it's it's not intertitles but it's but it's text on screen and it it is like it's recognizably the same work as or as from the same filmmaker as those experimental films but it's much more conventional it's actually getting a a regular theatrical release like Kino Lorber picked it up and they're putting it out in theaters so it's it, you know it's a mainstream documentary that, that anybody could watch and, and understand it's just it's got some experimental quirks to it so it's like it's like a melding of the two mm-hmm. traditions <clears throat> that I think, wor- he, that I think I works haven't... very well
1: I haven't seen any of his his other films. Is he is he kind of like an an, an does he do like essay films or does he do other documentaries or is he more kind of uh,
0: kind of found the, footage found footage with like found okay. film. Uh, okay. Okay. I've only I've only seen a, a few. Uh, there were two of them at Sif two years ago. Uh, one on on World War One that I really liked. That was. Uh, that uh i think beyond zero 1914 1918 uh that kind of built the store the whole story of world war one out of out of decaying found footage shot like in the trenches and on the battlefields and on the home front and such uh but that didn't have any like on-screen titles at all it it's just built the story out of the images and you kind of had to piece together what was going on on your own but also mm-hmm. just like strikingly beautiful mm-hmm. Images mm-hmm. of, of decaying film. That's cool. So yeah, uh, that that's one that will be coming out in theaters. So uh, we probably shouldn't talk about it because it's under embargo. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs>
1: <Oops>. <laughs> and it's called Dawson. I keep wanting to say Dawson's Creek, but it's no. Dawson City. Da- <laughs> Dawson, <laughs>
0: Dawson City colon frozen City. time. Okay. Because it's cold there. <laughs> and it happened
3: a long time ago, I guess, I, I don't know. And and film is is from frozen images, right? Yes. Yes. And it's a lot of
0: metaphors working there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Evan, what else have you seen that is of interest? To you, or that you would uh, well, about? Well, I
2: guess I, somewhat like you, I felt that much of what I've seen has been somewhat lackluster uh, and maybe a little bit on the forgettable side. But there were two films that uh, did get my ire up quite a bit, so I thought I would <laughs> uh, rant about those briefly. Uh, the first one was *Knife in the Clearwater*, which sounded like it would be more in my wheelhouse—sort of a slow cinema. Uh, film that uh, comes from mainland China. Uh, it's from a Hui region or Hui people uh, made it, and from a region in central China that obviously doesn't get a lot of sort of cinematic play. It's a you know predominantly Muslim community. Uh, so again, sort of the the indigenous culture uh, programming that Sif wanted to highlight, but I just found it to be utterly interminable, uh, it is sort of the worst of all uh, possible versions of, or, or all the sort of cliches and tropes of the sl- arthouse slow cinema film. Uh, it follows a, uh, uh, I can't even remember <laughs> at this point, uh, it follows uh, a man who, wife has just died and he's sort of a, a farmer uh, in this very desolate Landscape that's shot in in four uh, three cinematography film that looks that looks pretty good. The film does does at least have uh, a rather striking kind of look to it. Uh, but it follows him after his wife dies, and and part of the uh, burial rites that occur around his wife's death in this community is to sacrifice his cow. Uh, and the film just follows him basically wandering around his town, sadly not wanting to kill his cow, staring at his cow, uh, walking back and forth while feeding his cow. And that's pretty much the whole the whole movie. Uh, must be some and, cow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it just sort of... Uh, the interiors are shot very much like a Pedro Costa movie in this sort of... Um, chiaroscuro low light look and the exteriors are again like I said sort of shot in this slow cinema landscape style but there's just a sense that neither one of those choices emerges from anything organic in the film or in the community that's depicted in the film at least as far as as I could sense it it really felt like someone coming into this community with a sort of program of you know what what can I do to make this an acceptable movie that's going to get some play at at a European festival and sort of treating this community at at a distance with a sort of uncomfortable ethnographic uh, vibe. I don't know much about the production of the film, so I don't know. It didn't seem like the director had a connection for what I could tell with the community uh, himself, but I I could be wrong about that. But there was just a, a sense I could not get past that the film was designed entirely for for export to uh, foreign festivals and uh, just really does not have the kind of mastery of mood and uh, space and gesture that's required to, to do a film sort of in this style. Uh, so that had me sort of leaping out of my skin as I was watching it. Uh, and the other film that really got under my skin in a, in a, in a bad way was uh, Eliza Hittman's Beach Rats, which follows a a sort of young uh, Brooklyn, sort of New Jersey Shore type uh, young man who is sort of coming to grips with his nascent uh, homosexuality and he has a sort of attraction to older men that he meets online for these anonymous encounters that are sort of tinged with perhaps a, a predatory kind of quality uh but he also spends a lot of his time with this very virile uh testosterone heterosexual group of his friends and the movie is sort of about this contrast between his dominant sexuality and the very male hetero male culture that that he lives in um but again i think there's just something really strange about the the movie's distance to this character it has a sort of ethnographic Approach to him, and, and I think there's a, a weird sort of regressive quality that it has about the way that it understands gay sexuality as fundamentally death tinged in some way. There's, the, like I said, the sort of predatory aspects of his relationship with uh, these older men that he meets online. His dad is, is literally dying outside of his bedroom, and at one point, he stumbles on the way into the bedroom uh, over his. Dying father, and uh, it just felt extremely uh, overdetermined, and sort of ends in this sort of place of of moralism that that sat rather uncomfortably with me. Uh, so yeah, neither of those films.
3: Uh, well. I also saw uh, I also saw Beatrice, and uh, like uh, I was a little mixed on it. Uh, it like it definitely seemed to lose something as it went along. Like it lost this immediacy that it had, like especially at the very beginning and it is very like strikingly shot on, on 16 millimeter. And, uh, it does work for me much more in this, in like the ethnographic vein you mentioned rather than like the attempt to really moralize, uh, like his, or like to really define his, his, uh, struggle. And, uh, yeah, I was I was mixed on it, but I can't say I I disliked it.
2: I do think that the the lead performer, uh, whose name I, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, who I think this is his first major starring role in a feature mm-hmm. film, uh, is quite good uh, in the yeah. film, and he is a, a fairly commanding presence on on screen. But I just yeah I couldn't get past the sense that Hitman uh, just did not really have a real sense again, uh, of this community or, or in particular, this, this person's psychology, it just felt like something, uh, from a sort of different
3: era in a way. Yeah. And he, uh, and she, uh, surrounds him with, uh, with his, like not only his, uh, his, his, uh, friends, but also, uh, a, a, a potential girlfriend, uh, who he is, both attracted to and not attracted to, he's not aroused by her. That's made very clear. And then also his uh, his family, his father and uh, his mother and his sister, his younger sister, and uh, the way they're handled is a little strange. Like it, they aren't really fleshed out particularly well, especially in comparison to uh, to even some of the of the men he uh, uh, has sex with.
1: Do you do you guys know much about the director himself? If, if he like what his perspective is, is he
3: uh,
1: a, part of It's actually a, it? woman.
3: Yeah. It's a, woman. Oh, it's a woman. Yeah. Th- this okay. is her her second future. Uh, okay. I'm I'm not. Uh, I haven't looked into her actual perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I
2: I guess I hate to sort of play the the card of uh, you know criticizing the film for coming from an artist who, you know, doesn't sort of come from the community that's depicted in in the film, because I don't think that's a priori a a problem necessarily. But (laughs) um, again, just the sense that it's looking at it in a somewhat uh, moralistic way while simultaneously marrying that with this sort of ethnographic impulse creates this strange tension that ends up feeling kind of purient and and voyeuristic uh, when I think it's, it's very much trying to be empathetic, uh, and, yeah. and wants to be, but, uh, sort of, I think ends up in a sort of weird, uh,
3: middle ground that it doesn't really have a, the, a way to resolve. I will say there are two absolutely incredible vape trick montages. <laughs> and <laughs> and in general, like it, I think it, uh, it portrays the, this, like the, the partying scenes or like the scenes where the, they're just hanging out with a a very interesting vibe. Like it seems at both, uh, both very grounded and yet slightly alien in a way that really appealed to me. There, There are vape tricks? Yes, there are two vape trick montages. <laughs> uh, they
0: like the. They I, I'll agree up. with Ryan. Those are definitely yes. the highlight of the film. I mean, sadly, I,
3: I, I didn't even know that was a thing. I am very old. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- those take place uh, sadly in the first two thirds. The last third is sadly lacking in them.
1: <laughs> no vape tricks.
3: No vape oh,
0: tricks. No <laughs> All right. So, uh, what has disappointed you, Ryan?
3: This is, um, let's this is see. the the negative hour of the show. <laughs> uh, um, let's see. I can't say this necessarily disappointed me. I quite liked it, but I'll uh, say, can I say a retrospective sure. uh, one for this? Whatever you want. Uh, I saw. Sure. I saw the uh, the James I- Merchant Ivory uh, film *Maurice* from 1987. It was the uh, 30th uh, anniversary restoration. Uh, which basically follows um, the main, the, the title character Maurice, uh, played by James Willby, as uh, he grows up in uh, early 20th century England, as he uh, discovers his sexu- his gay sexuality, and like, has to deal with like the uh, the very uh, oppressive culture around around that, in like because homosexuality was illegal. Uh, at the time in England and he it follows him as he grows up he becomes friends and sometime lovers with Clive played by Hugh Grant and it falls as they like they start out together and then they grow apart as Clive adapts to the society and he marries a woman and he strongly urges Maurice to to marry to do the same and instead he Strikes up a relationship with Clive's uh, groundskeeper Alec, played by Rupert Graves, and and I did very much I did like it. I, well, not very much. I did like it, but it had a it the sense of just a very straightforward uh, telling grew uh, grew off after a little while uh, as. It just kept going. It's a fairly long movie, it's 140 minutes. And I don't think it sustains the sense of momentum, especially after Hugh Grant mostly exits uh, the scene. He definitely has the most commanding presence. And it just uh, fell off after uh, around halfway through. Yeah,
0: I I have seen that. I saw it like two years ago. Uh, I Mm -hmm. remember liking it, but I don't remember why. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that sounds like a merchant ivory movie
0: to me. yeah i mean i i remember thinking it's it, it's fine it's it's based on em forster novel that that he wrote and and didn't allow it to be published until like mm-hmm. many years after it wasn't published like 1971 so like long after he was dead i believe
1: yeah.
0: uh mm-hmm. and i don't know i mean it's i yeah i can't i can't say one way or the other
3: I will say this was the first uh, Merchant Ivory film that I saw. I haven't seen yeah. any of the, the classics, as it were, so I can't yeah. comment on if they're, this falls anywhere. They're good. You I should,
0: you how, check them out. I've room heard very good things about them. Room, room with a View is great. Right. Howard's mm-hmm. End. Yeah, Remains of the Day. Remains of the Day, yeah.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. When they're on their A game,
0: they can be pretty good. So. Mm-hmm. Right has, has, have either you seen that movie?
1: I haven't No, seen it, I haven't no. seen that
0: one. Uh,
1: yeah. I haven't even read the book, but yeah. I would like to. I like Anne Forster a lot.
2: Yeah, me too. And yeah, I haven't read it either.
0: Okay. Uh, Melissa, anything uh, disappoint you? Which uh, which of the three movies you've seen did you not like? <laughs>
1: <The> most disappointing. <laughs> um, well, the one that was maybe most disappointing was the one I actually just caught up with today and I haven't had too much time to think about. Um, but I maybe wanted tag team that with you a little bit it's a vampire cleanup department
2: yeah um
1: and i feel like you maybe should take the lead on that one a little bit just because you're the hong kong cinema expert (laughs) yeah and um so yeah i guess we could talk about it i mean i i kind of knew because i had read your review um that it probably was i would probably wasn't going to be wowed by it but um i i might have liked it a little bit better than you just because i have no idea what all the films that the Film is referencing, so everything felt very fresh to me. Sure. Um, whereas it sounds like from your review,
0: you never forget that.
1: There's, yeah, you
0: never forget the first time you saw a happy better. a hopping vampire. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. I mean, a hopping vampire. I mean, I was kind of sold at that point. Um, but um, yeah, so so that was great. I mean, I I liked the the vibe of the film. I mean, I, I guess basically just to, um, for any listeners, it's about a department, a bureaucratic (laughs) department that cleans up vampires. It's it's (laughs) kind of right (laughs) there (laughs) in the title. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's there in the title, um, which is kind of a great, I mean, it's got that element of comedy is, I, I liked that element of it quite a bit. And again, I don't know if that's something that is typical for other Samahong movies that, that you were referencing or not, but the the element of kind of having this very si- serious business of vampires, but sort of having this bureaucratic element and, you know, no, we can't hire more people. We don't have enough money. We don't have the funding for that kind of thing um, was was pretty great. And and I, I did like the, the aesthetic of it um, as well. Um, and I think that you said you liked the, one element of it you liked was the the romance but that's where I kind of it lost me a little bit like I kind of wasn't excited about going there with the the romance well I kind of elements
0: I I liked the romance and and I didn't because it's 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 like it's totally generic and it's like it's it's grafted on to it 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 seems like every kind of like mainstream Hong Kong film or, or Chinese film has one of these like cute romances, and I'm kind of getting sick of them. Mm-hmm. And they're all yeah, and it, kinda, was, I mean, and, it was really cute.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's
0: it's like it's cute in all senses of the of the term. And you know, it yes, it kind of has like a, a couple of moments that are nice, but mostly it's just it's really kind of generic and and silly. And you know, I. I was really struck by the, the description of the actress as uh, uh, an Instagram sensation, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, which that's is exactly like her. What she, like.
1: Yeah. she
0: she she was on like a TV series in Taiwan, and she's an Instagram s- sensation, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, according to like a, some just, article about her, and that's like all she's ever done. And and she's yeah. exactly that kind of actress. She she is extremely <laughs> cute. But, I mean, she
1: bounces and she like <laughs> and, and and looks adorable. Yeah,
0: and like the lead guy is is just kind of a a entity in in a way of a lot yeah. of a lot of of pretty young Chinese actors. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like any any personality yeah. in the film comes from kind of the veteran supporting cast, which is which is really cool, has, yeah. led by by Richard Ng and. Uh, Wu Peng's uh one of his brothers is is like the uh the guy in charge of like the Taoist spells and uh mm-hmm. uh one of the the kind of uh more minor supporting uh uh figures from like the late Shaw brothers era into the into the 80s who was in like the original Mr. Vampire is like the guy in charge of like the kung fu training and so like those guys all add like a bit of color and and eric chang is in it and and he's always like hilarious to see him uh he's the the security guard that most of the film is ostensibly a a flashback being told to him and uh, yeah when it cuts back to the presence he's he's like what are you talking about this doesn't make any sense you're insane <laughs> <laughs> So that that stuff is funny, and it's got like the the high kind of production values, like the glossy sheen of, of yes. like Hong Kong productions. They they always look really cool. They're bright. They're colorful. I, I happen to yeah, like it, it looked great Hong yeah. Kong special effects. Uh, some people find them to be like cheap. Uh, I I think they're great. Um, but it's just it's it's lacking in uh, in specificity of of place like it it doesn't feel like Hong Kong and uh, Mm -hmm. and that is it's not just a problem with this film it's like it's like an endemic problem with yeah I was just gonna say I feel like that's increasingly
2: uh, an issue with with Hong Kong
0: films yeah and it's and and it's a it's a structural problem as as it's being as the, the colony is being absorbed by the mainland like like politically and and economically and and for the hong kong film industry it's it's got to try to appeal to this mainland audience uh and it it makes it hard for the kind of quirkier like cantonese specific things that you would get in in like the old hopping vampire films to
1: mm-hmm.
0: to really to stick out um, so yeah and this is uh Kind of this. This leads into what has disappointed me in the festival so far, which is just the Hong Kong films that are here. There's there's only two actual Hong Kong films here, and this is one of them. And the other is uh, is Cook Up a Storm, which already played here in Seattle. It played for like two weeks at the Pacific Place, and yet SIF is, is uh, they have it billed as a Seattle premiere, which it absolutely is not. And <laughs> it was uh, this. Is the film stars uh, Nicholas say uh, Nicholas Che, who's a, uh, 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 in addition to being like a a film star in in Hong Kong, also hosts like a reality cooking show where he like travels around and cooks like he's like Gordon Ramsay, but also like a pop idol and actor, uh, and so this is like an extension of his like Chef Nick brand, where he plays a. Uh, like supposedly like a, a local like street cook in in hong kong and across the street this like european trained uh uh i think he's supposed to be a mainlander but he like grew up in europe uh moves in across the street and sets up like this this like fancy you know french restaurant across the street and they have a rivalry and then they end up going on like a cooking competition show the rules of which don't make any sense and it ultimately becomes, like, less about the rivalry between the two of them and more about Chef Nick trying to live up to the example set by his father, who's Anthony Wong and is, like, a complete dick. Uh, it's, well, now you pique my interest. <laughs> it's <laughs> it, – uh, it, it, the plot, like, even by, like, the standards of a Hong Kong film makes no sense. And the, the characters aren't all of that interesting. Like, it's just – it's really bland and it's really boring and it's for being a film that is about like a local indigenous, you know, to some extent about like a local indigenous, you know, cooking tradition standing up to a more globalized, you know, corporate vision of the world. There's no specificity of culture at all to this Mm -hmm. film. So it's just, it's very generic and, and, uh, Yeah, uh, there's another cooking film that came out like right before the festival called This Is Not What I Expected, which is like similarly bland. It's a mainland film. Uh, It's supposedly set in Shanghai, but it really could be anywhere. But it, it... has like more to it than that like it's got all of like the same like food porn cooking shots that you get in cook up a storm but there's also like interesting characters and an interesting romantic relationship as opposed to just like a a generic cute relationship like you get in vampire cleanup departments and yeah so i that one is much better a much better film than either of the two hong kong films that are here and but sif didn't get it i i don't really know why they picked these two and then the third um which isn't technically a Hong Kong film, but it's got like a ton of Hong Kong talent in it, is God of War, which is, mm-hmm. uh, it starts Samuel Hung and Vincent Zhao, who played, uh, he was the star of uh, Choi Hark's The Blade. And he, uh, he took mm-hmm. over the Wang Fei Hung role in the Once Upon a Time in China series for the fourth and fifth films uh, for Jet Li. But uh, he's like 20 years older now and looks weirdly like Jimmy Fallon. Uh, and they are like Chinese generals fighting uh, Japanese pirates who in the Ming dynasty who are kind of like invading these coastal towns which is uh, I think it's the same plot as uh, or kind of the same like setup as King Hu's uh, The Valiant Ones which uh, is like an okay movie and also starred Samuel Hung but it's like 40 years old Uh, but this one like Samuel Hung is barely in it even though he's top billed in the movie and he's like the number one guy you see on the poster, so I was a little yeah, I was just say he's like all over the poster. Yeah, he's he's in it, and then he just he's in it for like the first twenty minutes, and then he just disappears. And it's mostly just about Vincent Vincent Zhao kind of outsmarting the uh, the Japanese. And there are a lot of war scenes in it, and and the action is really good. It's it's directed by Gordon Chan, uh, who's like a veteran Hong Kong director and really knows you know how to shoot an action scene. And there's like really, really good war combat stuff in it, uh, even better than, uh, than than the Great Wall, which is otherwise kind of a, a dreadful movie, but it looks cool uh, in its fighting. Um, but God of War is like not uh, not even subtle about the fact that it is like PRC propaganda. Like it, it it could not be more obvious that it's like about like the workers and the proletariat and the women and they're all like joining forces to beat back like the invading armies that are like coming in on the coast and taking over their towns. Like it is it's like the story of the Communist Party in the 20th century and it's it's really kind of obnoxious how how that leaks into what what you know could be an otherwise like interesting film uh, Kind of hurt by Vincent Zhao in the center uh, of the film, who seems like way too old for the part because he's supposed to like be this young, uh, like genius general, and he's got a, a young, pretty wife, but he's like in his fifties.
1: <laughs> well, and also he's
2: a, not a performer that I mean I think he's he's just not the most interesting performer to begin with, but uh, he doesn't radiate intelligence either as a performer. That's sort of a strange... He's a cast as a
0: genius general. Yeah, um, that's, not that's the like, most obvious casting choice for that role. Yeah, it's like the Jimmy Fallon effect. <laughs> uh, and I mean he's 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 a he's a good. Uh, like martial arts performer and, and he he's a fine actor but i mean there's a reason why people did not like him in the once upon a time in china series like he he just does not have the mm-hmm. the kind of innate charisma of, of somebody like a Jet Li or or samuel hung that, that makes you like really interested in him so he just kind of recedes to the background of every scene that he's in which you don't really want in your like inspiring general uh he shouldn't be the least interesting person in the movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping there there's a lot more Chinese films to come in the second half of the festival. So I'm hoping things pick up.
1: And because, that that because, one's
2: also getting a, re- a release, like a regular release.
0: Yeah, God too, of War actually it? opens here on Friday. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, go go see it for the action. Uh, inoculate yourself to the. Communist Party propaganda, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and and don't expect Samo to be doing much of anything. There, there is one cool. He he does have a fight sequence with uh, with Vincent Zhao, which uh, which reminded me of uh, of Samo's fight with Lao Kar in in Pedicab Driver. Where it's kind of totally extraneous to the plot. It's just Samo wants to wanted the chance to fight with Lau before they were both too old for to for it to be worthwhile. Uh, it's it's kind of like that, except Vincent is also already really old. So <laughs> But but it's cool. I mean anytime you get to see Samo fight, it's cool. But his uh, his film that was at CIF last year, uh, My Beloved Bodyguard, was I think like was really underrated I think it's actually a really cool little film and he's, he gives a great performance in that but but here he's just he's basically just like cashing a paycheck so that was disappointing uh okay so let's uh go around one more time and and talk about some movies and then we will go to sleep because it's uh, getting late and my kids are gonna wake me up at like six o'clock in the morning so uh Evan what else what else do you want to talk about
2: uh, the one other film that I saw that I, I sort of didn't respond to immediately while watching it, uh, and I guess I should say that I saw it on, on a screener, cause I think that's somewhat relevant, uh, as perhaps why I didn't, uh, wasn't quite as taken with it as I thought I would be, but that was the Thai film, uh, by the time it gets dark, which has actually sort of grown, uh, in my mind since I saw it a couple weeks ago, uh, I don't know that I could provide much of a a synopsis for what it's about. It has a very strange structure where it sort of starts uh, following this filmmaker who's uh, filming a documentary about a Thai political activist who participated in the student protest that ended in a massacre that's a a well-known political event in Thailand in the 70s. Uh, and so it sort of starts as a more uh, direct kind of narrative movie like that. But uh, after about 30 minutes or so, uh, characters sort of start morphing into other characters, people's psychology seems to sort of uh, change suddenly and uh, past and present are, are weirdly and, and fact and fiction are sort of weirdly uh, mingled and, and the sort of borders between all those things. Uh, become uh, really porous. Uh, It was a film that I I sort of felt a little bit like its politics at the beginning uh, were very clear in a way that was a little bit off-putting to me. Not that the movie is polemical necessarily, but it just foregrounds the, the political content that it's interested in exploring so clearly up front. That that kind of put me off, and then the way that it morphs into more of a a sort of dreamlike art movie partway through, uh, I also found uh, perhaps a little bit rote at this point. Uh, I I think the comparisons to, uh, obviously, the the most famous uh, Thai filmmaker, uh, Abichapong, We're accurate in the sense that the movie does have a similar uh, ability to sort of change on a dime at at any moment. Uh, But there's something about the way that Joe's films bury what they're about a little bit, that he's a sort of more clandestine filmmaker that I'm drawn in more, whereas this felt very much on the surface for me. Uh, but that being said, it has sort of stuck with me, and I think that the the director has an eye for capturing some uh, rather strange images. Uh, there's The final shot of the film especially mm-hmm. has a sort of uh, acid-like uh, sky. The sort of color correction is very distorted. Um, and so individual moments like that uh, have really stuck with me, and... A lot of people seem to, just who I sort of uh, follow and, and whose tastes I, I share, uh, responded quite strongly to this film. So uh, that's one that I sort of wish I'd gotten a chance to see in a theater, because the way that it has this sort of dreamlike sense uh, may have been more enveloping uh, if I wasn't watching it on a screener.
1: And
0: I know you saw that one, Sean, and yeah, I was right, curious what you, what, you, what you thought about it. Ryan, Ryan and I actually both uh, saw that last night in the theater, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I think we, we both really liked it. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of, I, I knew what it was going to be. Like the first half hour, I'm like, oh, okay, this is one of those mm-hmm. movies. This is the Asian minimalist movie. It's talking about history. It's talking about culture. It mm-hmm. might be like a little weird. It's a little meta. It's self-reflexive. And then it, uh, it turned into something else entirely, and I had no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. And after, like, about an hour of not knowing what it was, I, like, I I, I figured it out. Like, it started to make sense to me, like, or, like, I came to, like, an understanding of it that made sense to me. And then I was, like, okay, this is really cool. I I like this a lot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's... uh, it's hard to talk about. I actually, I went, I went back and read your, your little, uh, uh, your 75, 75 words, words capsule exactly on it. And I, I like <laughs> agree with everything that you wrote there. Um, it's just the, the way that you write about it, like, you know, potentially being anything is something I really, I really loved about it. How it could just, it could just like continue to branch off into all of these different mutations. And, you know, for, for like five minutes, it's, uh, it's a music video of a right. of mm-hmm. a pop star. Uh and, you know, it follows it it follows him for like twenty minutes and like something weird happens to him and then it's you know, it's about mushrooms and like the dangers of, of eating mushrooms because that's what that's what like precipitates mm-hmm. this whole thing is like somebody uh you don't eat mushrooms that you find in the woods. I mean, even if they are, like, sparkling like diamonds, don't don't eat them. I mushrooms. think especially if they're <laughs> sparkling
2: like that. don't and, eat the mushrooms. But. Yeah, and
0: it's it's there's, like, ten minutes of, like, uh, uh, a tobacco factory at work, and it's just kind of... That was you know, actually,
2: yeah, that might have been my favorite sequence uh, in the film. And I like how it segues from that sequence by having... Actually I think that's the sequence that then leads into the musical sequence the yes. one of the workers at the tobacco factory gets in a car and he just looks like sort of an you know an average day laborer at the factory right. gets but in he, a car he's, he's drives the into the city star. and then he's the pop star in the <laughs> in yeah. the music
3: video yeah, yeah. yeah. though I think yeah. he yeah I think he becomes either he becomes or he is an actor the whole time in yeah. uh in a film that itself becomes uh, another film that, in a very strange way, but it's all connected by uh, uh, the director's, the, the director's style. It's, it's very unlike uh, where are of course, but it uh, it has, a, it, it's, she has a very strong eye for like the faces and the, and the surrounding landscapes. Yeah. She, like the, the close-ups are very, very well done.
0: Yeah. She, she reminds me more of, of Jajenka in his like, uh, in his later period where he's more like openly surrealistic than, than where it's ethical. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, especially like, uh, his, uh, his short film from last year, like this seemed very much in that kind of vein where it's, it's, it starts as like a documentary or like kind of like a docudrama about like workers. And then it becomes like this weird, like meta cinematic fantasy. Uh, what I can't remember what that was called the hedonist the he yeah. the yes the hedonist, yeah, uh this seems more in that vein than something like 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 anything that that where Seth goal has done, which mm-hmm. is much is much less about cinema than this i don't I don't mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. where Seth goal is all that interested in that he's more interested in like history and spirituality um but uh what what's striking about this is that that any given scene in the film could be seen as as part of another film about making a film so it's You you think you're in this reality for this first half hour, like this is a movie about a woman preparing to make a movie about this historical event. And there are like cuts to like recreations of that historical event that might be flashbacks or they might be parts of the movie, Uh, kind of like uh, 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 Good Men, Good Women, the Ho Shao (laughs) Shang film. and then, but then it becomes all of these other movies. Is it uh, a movie where this pop star is acting in this movie about a tobacco farmer? Is it a movie about a movie where the pop star is acting? In it? And it just goes on and on and becomes, you know, it, there's no actual like reality to grasp onto. It's all. It's all just kind of unmoored, just kind of floating in space. This unreality between between film and reality, and history and and the present, and there's not really anything to grasp onto. And I think that's that's really kind of exciting. The way that she just gradually builds that and then sets you adrift. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, re- I,
1: re- I that really That one like is it. actually, yeah, I want to catch up with that one. That was one I was mm-hmm. looking at too, and I'd have to see it on screener, but there is actually one more screening on Thursday night. It looks like yeah. at
0: 9.30. Go see it, Evan. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, 9.30, it's so late.
1: Okay,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And it does have a particular cinematic technique uh, at the end, which I won't uh, spoil. That I had, that was the first time I had seen it. Uh, with, without prior knowledge. And it was rather jarring, but it was very, very fascinating and beautiful in its own way.
2: Uh, I was wondering, did this look like it was shot on digital when you guys saw it uh, projected in the theater? Or, yeah, yes. Did, yeah, I
0: mean, okay. I mean, it, it looked good. It didn't look yeah, like, yeah. like cheap yes. digital, but I mean, everything. Yeah, that was my other weird digital. little
2: qualm with the movie. I, I guess I was. Uh, it's sort of one of those films where I really wanted to get lost in the texture. If I had felt a little bit more able to get lost in the texture, uh, it might've, uh, worked a little bit more for me. And, uh, I think some of these films that sort of try for this dreamier mood, uh, when they're shot in newer digital formats, uh, just don't quite have that, that same, uh, atmosphere for me. So we're just curious if the screener was sort of compressing that or, or not, but I do think that, uh, if I can manage to stay awake at 9.30 on Thursday, it would be worth seeing again.
0: There, there is no analog texture in our rootless digital reality. <laughs> uh, OK, uh, moving on. Ryan,
3: what, uh, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, I'll mention the uh, the newest Darden Brothers film, The Unknown Girl. Yeah. Uh, it premiered last year at Cannes, and uh, it, for I think the first time in their career, it re- received a fairly mixed response uh, because it uh, it marries their uh, tr- their regular, uh, it fiercely humanist uh, uh, their their humanist concerns with a more traditional narrative. This, in this case, it's a genre, almost genre. Mystery about uh, about a possible murder. So the the main character is a, a doctor played by Adele Hanale uh, who uh, when closing up one night or after hours, uh, the the buzzer rings and she doesn't open, and and later that night a woman is found possibly murdered on the beach, and she becomes obsessed with. With this case, because she feels a certain, uh, like she feels a strong responsibility for this person's death, and it, and it follows her as she uh, goes about her rounds, making house calls, and she uh, shows the photo of this of this woman, uh, of this girl. Really, she's uh, later revealed to be uh, a teenager, and she shows the photo, and it casts. Uh, the doctor as both uh, this healer and as this investigator, and it dovetails actually rather nicely. And the movie loses loses a little bit uh, towards the end when it focuses more on this investigator role. But the final scene is uh, absolutely uh, haunting in a way, and uh, it's rendered with the trademark Darden uh, 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 handhelds though it doesn't uh, as aggressively follow the uh, the character the main character as in their earlier films, and it's a very wonderful movie which uh really really stuck with me Yeah that's one uh, Evan and I saw that at
0: at fifth last last year. Uh, I think I liked it more than than you did Evan.
2: Uh, I actually, well, yeah, maybe relatively, although I guess I don't really count myself as, as the biggest Dardenne fan, although I, I did like this one, uh, I think because I find their films to be jerry-rigged in a way that they I get the sense that they sort of try to hide that uh, with the handheld style, uh, but the more recent films they've made, I think, have foregrounded the, what they're actually doing with the narrative a little bit more, and I like that this one used the thriller structure and the genre trappings of the thriller uh, to sort of make that that narrative uh, construction that that they employ feel a little bit more natural to what the film was doing. So, uh, I, I like I said, I, I don't think that I'm never going to be fully converted to the the Dardan camp but uh, I did like this one
0: yeah i i uh i agree i thought the uh the kind of uh catholic almost almost uh idea of like uh, universal guilt i think melded nicely with the uh, the film noir conventions where where she feels you know, responsible for this thing, which is the impetus for the thriller, as opposed to like a typical noir where, where the, the hero makes a mistake and is punished for it. She like, she didn't really do anything all that bad, but she's guilty for it anyway and feels she's got to atone for it. I think that's Mm a, it was a nice twist on, on the genre. And I think it, it goes well with, with what I've seen of their other stuff, which is only the recent films. I haven't seen any of their like actually acclaimed ones, but uh,
1: yeah.
3: Yeah, I've only seen today's it. one night, which I absolutely loved. But I did quite enjoy this one as well. Yeah. Right on.
1: You're not a big You're not a big Darden fan either, though, Sean. Right? Although you said you haven't seen those.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't. I haven't seen the early films because they look depressing and sad. <laughs> 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 they are. The, these new
2: ones definitely. The newer ones have a. They're more open about the sort of redemptive. Uh, yeah. spiritual quality I, 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 re- I
0: require ones. I require base genre thrills for my depressing and sad <laughs> movies uh, if I don't get like a mystery or like some sex and some violence then I'm just, like, just bored. <laughs> I,
2: that I would say pretty closely aligns with my own uh policy on that so I, I second that yeah.
1: <laughs> You guys, well, I don't know, Sean, You just need to watch some of the earlier films. Get over your sure. Thanks for genre. There,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm like the, I'm the inverse uh, of Dogma ninety five. I, I require musical sequences and <laughs> and, and, dog, <laughs> and uh, genre. Gilman twenty seventeen. Well, okay. So Melissa, what is what is the third movie you saw?
1: The third movie I've um, seen. <laughs> It is a Finding Kukan by um, female filmmaker Robin Long. Uh, it's her first feature film as well. It's a documentary about a documentary, um, a documentary about this a 1941 uh, Academy Award winning documentary called Kukan, The Battle Cry of China. And uh, the finding who Khan, this 2016 documentary is also it's about that earlier documentary and it's also about this chinese american woman named li lung a Lee li, li ling ai who was credited only as technical advisor to the 1941 film but whom um robin lung suspected was a great deal more than that uh, more involved in in the film than that and so um the original 1941 documentary itself um, features on-the-ground footage of sort of the the horrors, atrocities of World War I um, in China, uh, something that American audiences hadn't really seen or really had had thought that much about um necessarily and uh the film is unique in that it at the time that lung set out to make her documentary there was no available print and all the other academy award-winning documentaries do have available prints so um this film in particular was kind of this this mystery and so this 2016 documentary that lung um created is Part of it is about setting out to discover if there is some print of this 1941 film to be found. Um, then the other aspect of of the film is that the 1941 documentary is credited credited to the photojournalist Ray Scott, who um, he didn't go didn't make any other films, um, but he shot the footage of this. 41 documentary. Um, but but Lung, based on this TV interview that she found of Li Ling Ai, this Chinese American woman, um, Li seemed to be describing this 41 documentary as her film and her story that she wanted to tell, even though she just got this technical advisory credit for it. Um, so this 2016 documentary sets out to figure out exactly what Lee's role is in the making of the film. So basically, the documentary is guided by kind of two questions: Who is uh, Lee Li Ling Ai, and why is why is nobody heard of her? And then also, is there this is there a surviving print of of Kukan? Um And I wouldn't say that that the documentary is particularly extraordinary as a, a film. It does have a little bit of a kind of a TV documentary type feel, but but its key questions are i think really compelling especially as it just explores the the figure of of lee herself and uh, what she would have faced in the in the 1930s landscape both as a woman as and as a, a chinese american woman um women um kind of you know into the starting in the 30s didn't really helm films at a, at a certain point though um in hollywood and then also chinese women certainly wouldn't have either um and so she you do get this sense of her as being this rather extraordinary kind of forceful character. And Lung does make an effort to kind of tease out how and why she was extraordinary. Um, I did also appreciate Lung's personal presence in the film. She is herself, I believe, fourth generation generation Chinese American. And so the film has some personal resonance and significance um, for her that she does um, insert in, into the film. It's kind of you're following her as she's making these discoveries over a period of about seven, seven years. And I, I was in the end left wanting a bit more, more information about Li Ling Ai and really mostly wanting to see Ku itself. She kind of peppers the documentary with little snippets of of Kan, the 41 documentary, that are really interesting and really compelling. Um, but there's, you're left wanting more. Um, so I don't know if that's a good thing that I wanted more or if it if it meant there was a there's some lack in in the film itself. Um, so, again, I, I guess overall, I would say that the documentary is the subject matter is is really interesting. I'm not sure it's as as a documentary itself. It's um, has a, a lot to recommend. But I guess if you're interested in, in the subject matter, I would I would recommend um, checking it out. So yeah, I
0: don't. Yeah, it's always. I don't think it's always so hard to judge documentaries because you. Yeah. You feel like they should, you know, do something other than just be an interesting story. You feel lame just saying, "Hey, that's a cool
1: story." (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, she does. She does. She does, right. She does try some interesting things. I mean, well, she makes efforts, for example, to do reenactments, but not necessarily reenactments. She was kind of like these shadow characters, maybe playing what she kind of assumed would have happened based on letters that she found and that kind of thing. Um, but it, it feels a little bit forced. It doesn't feel completely kind of organic. Mm-hmm. Um to the film, and and she also she doesn't have a lot of talking heads, which, which I appreciated. She instead instead of talking heads, most of the time she'll just kind of feature herself in a, a conversation with someone. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm. It's hard. It, yeah, like you said, it's hard to know whether it how how to judge the film itself.
2: Right. So was was finding kukon or sorry kukon the the actual documentary is that a, was that a feature length documentary or it was yeah. A, mm-hmm.
1: hmm. yeah it is um not overly long I think let me see if I can find it here I think it's like maybe, um mm-hmm. Oh sorry, I'm not gonna be able to find that. No, that's all right. I guess I was just <laughs> no, curious. 60, that, uh, 63 minutes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, okay. Just okay. kinda of surprising that SIF wouldn't uh, I don't know what the the state of the print is like or anything like that, but surprising they wouldn't program it as like a, a sort of a sidebar yeah. type type deal with this documentary.
1: Right. Well, I don't know how much I should give away, but um ah, that is well. kind of answered <laughs> answered in, in her documentary, like what would be available um, kind of um, yeah, I don't know how much mm. Mars to say. <laughs>
0: don't don't want to spoil, because we have somebody, want to spoil we have the documentary. On <laughs> <laughs> documentary. Spoil history.
1: <laughs> yeah, you you could look it up and find it out probably, but yeah.
0: All right. Uh, the last one. The last one I want to mention uh, is uh, Bad Black, mm. which is uh, a really interesting film. From uh, Uganda, uh, that I did not get to see with an audience, which mm-hmm. would have been like on the on the one hand, it would have been like a lot of fun and really fascinating to see it with an audience because it is it is very much a a very fun, crowd pleasing, entertaining movie. On the other hand, it might be infuriating given the nature of SIFF audiences because uh, <laughs> it's this uh, a very Ultra low budget, completely DIY action comedy film uh, set in like the slums of, uh, of uh, Kampala. And uh, it's like the story of, of this woman who grows up in the, in, in the slums and how she gets revenge on like the people who screwed her over. And there's like a side plot about like a white guy who's a doctor. Who has uh, like his father's dog tags, which he wore around his neck, uh, stolen from him, and so like a local street kid teaches him how to be like a badass action hero. So he like a commando, uh, yeah, a commando. There's like a training montage, and then he like goes into and like just starts like shooting people with machine gun, and it's it's hilarious. Uh, anyway, so it's it's like this this story, like like you know, literally like coming out of of uh, of the streets and uh that it's it's you know fascinating in a lot of ways the way the way that uh you know like a, a new artist, a new industry is telling their own story but filtering it through like Hollywood action movie uh genre cliches and and storytelling. Um but it's also like inventing new things to go along with it. Like it's got like this this hilarious uh voiceover narrator who's like uh, almost like a, like a like a like a cross between like a benchy, uh like the Japanese uh, interpreter who would explain the the silent films, uh, and uh, like a MST3K guy. Except he's not making fun of the film. He's like explaining it to you as it goes along, and is like just really into the movie. Like every time, like the like the doctor comes on screen, he's like the doctor. He's gonna get killed. He's a commando, <laughs> and like he's he's training, and he falls like in a ditch, and he's like, "That's poo poo. It's actual poo poo. This is Uganda." <laughs> Uh, and he, it's just, it's hilarious, but I can just imagine, like, half the siF audience is, like, totally on the wavelength with it, where, like, this is, this is like, a new kind of, of uh, approach to cinema, like, is totally made out of, like, just the joy of making film. And then there's another half who is just, like, laughing at the low production values and is treating it like the room or something. And... So I'm like I I did not want to see it with an audience for that reason. I saw Yeah. It at, uh, that was about, my
3: concern, but
0: yeah.
2: uh, I
3: saw it uh in the second showing. It, I didn't see the the midnight first showing, but I did see it uh at the second. It was like at 9:30 or so, mm-hmm. and it the audience was really into it. It was uh very very nice to see and uh the producer was there. He he plays the commando. Um, And actually afterwards, uh, the director, uh, Isaac, uh, he's credited as Nabwana IGG, uh, he he actually Skyped in and we uh, essentially filmed a scene for like an upcoming, for one of his uh, upcoming films, uh, which Mm -hmm. is about uh, Ebola. And it features a a character (laughs) known as the Ebola Hunter. Right, that's uh... (laughs) That's a friend, friend of the site, Matt Lynch, I believe, yeah. is the Ebola Hunter. Yeah. What? <laughs> right? like, I'm not sure if he's like, like he, he played the Ebola Hunter, but I'm not sure if he's going to be the the sole Ebola Hunter. He wasn't there at the second screen. One of uh, like the like Ebola the... Hunters. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one of on the Ebola Hunters. Yeah. But, yeah, but, but yeah, this is actually, uh, the producer said this was uh, Isaac's uh, 32nd film. And like, wow. And uh, like the one that really brought them to prominence in 2010 was this film, uh, "Who Killed Captain Alex," which uh, the first the trailer went up, and the uh, complete film is actually available uh, from the official uh, Wakaliwood, which is the film unit's name, on their official YouTube channel. And yeah, I also really liked Bad Black, and I think it appeals to uh, action and especially uh, exploitation film. Uh, uh, film boosters a lot more uh, and B- Matt Lynch especially he like absolutely adores this uh, and I'm not so much in that, but I still really appreciate it and the actual action uh, is actually fairly well done it's like there's a lot of, of quick cuts, but you can actually tell that like the the hits are actually landing, for instance like it actually feels kind of visceral even uh even considering the ultra look low budget special effects.
0: Yeah, there's there's like some some competent kung fu going on which mm-hmm. yeah, is it's it's just it's it's fascinating the way that you know, like the different cultures mediate this kind of storytelling of, of kind of rising up out of, out of the slums uh, through like kung fu movies, through like Jean-Claude Van Damme. At one point, like the commando's running around and then the narrator is like listing off all of like the action heroes he reminds him of He's like Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, <laughs> Bill Murray.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, actually, Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, and like the first, the first part of the film is like, uh, like it features a Schwarzenegger like character named Swaz, uh, like executing like a a, a bank robbery, uh, which which goes into a, a high speed chase and it's very
0: fun yeah and it feels it feels all very chaotic as it's first like jumping around in the beginning it's like it's going from one thing to another and you can like barely keep up and then you know it it all it all ties together in the end in mm-hmm. like a in like a very kind of curb your enthusiasm larry david way where like every everything that has happened on screen is like related to the same thing like like the opposite of person to person like it actually it it all comes together (laughs) this is the only place that these movies (laughs) have been compared i'm quite sure about that yeah i mean it's it's extremely clever (laughs) and i think i think it's it's very sophisticated filmmaking in the way Mm -hmm. that it it kind of makes a strength out of like the limitations of of the Mm -hmm. industry and not in a in like a cheap way or in a uh in like a condescending way which is mm-hmm. is always my worry with with sif audiences because that is how
3: they react to every hong kong movie that we see mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah and i'd be remiss to um uh, to uh, forget that uh the version that showed at sif it actually has first off uh, a special sif introduction you, you can actually find it on youtube but like it it Talks about coffee. It talks about about the constant rain. Yeah. Like they joke that, oh, oh we, we we have rain too, and stuff like that. And then uh, scattered throughout uh, the uh, the video joker, the uh, the VJ who's the the narrator. Like there are a few uh, Seattle uh, Seattle jokes that are dubbed in. Like it mentions Ballard Avenue at one point. Uh-huh.
0: Right on, because the, the screener I watched was, uh, is the screener for Fantastic Fest, which it premiered at. So yeah. all the references are like to the Alamo Drafthouse and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, yeah, I was wondering if they had redone a SIF-specific a one, which... Uh,
2: Sounds like sort of like a traveling roadshow
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Type yeah,
0: presentation. That's kind of cool. It's very cool, yeah definitely I definitely recommend checking that out if you if you have a chance so yeah so uh to kind of conclude we have we have half of a sift to go <laughs> uh,
2: which is which is one vif
0: yeah it's <laughs> just one vif. it's it's more than one VIF because i you know i'm I'm only a fifth for like nine days every year, so it's, we have twelve days to go i think of sif, so it's actually more god it's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah we have we have a lot to go uh I'm wondering uh what you all are looking forward to in in the next uh two weeks for sif and then uh and then we will call it a night so but Evan, what uh, what, what, uh, what should well, we look for? I
2: think that uh, Bertrand Bonello's Nocturama, which will be playing uh, at some point in the festival, I think in uh, the last weekend of the festival. Yeah,
0: Saturday. That's Saturday. Saturday the 10th.
2: Yeah, um, that's a film that I've seen twice now, uh, another film I haven't got a chance to see in a theater, which I'm sure would be uh, a, a very stunning experience. It's... Uh, really remarkable to look at. Uh, I still have somewhat mixed feelings about uh, where it ultimately ends up, but that would be the the film to absolutely uh, make the trek out to a theater to see uh, with what's playing. So uh, I may see it for a third time.
3: Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ryan, what are, you, what are you looking forward to? Love uh, Trauma, of course, and uh, Taste of Cherry, the restoration uh, I think it's a 4K restoration playing of Abbas Kurostami, uh his film uh, that won the, his Palme d'Or and had sparked uh, intensely divided reactions and I'm very excited to see that. And also uh, a ghost story by David Lowry with Casey Affleck and Rudy Mara which has received rave reviews out of Sundance um, and but and I'm very excited to see that. Also The Ornithologist, which was a film from last year, uh which I still don't know that much about, but it sounds very fascinating.
0: Yeah, I, I saw I saw that one at VIF. It's uh it's good. I liked it. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's it's very strange. Uh but it's dope. Uh, Melissa, what are you uh what are you looking forward to? Uh, um, to watch well, on mostly, via screener?
1: <laughs> <laughs> watch on screener. Yeah, I'm mostly going to be playing catch-up. Well, I like to see by the time it gets dark. Also, after the storm, of course. Um, Godspeed, I think, is one I wanted to try to check out. Had any of you seen that one yet?
0: Uh, I'm was, going to see that on on Thursday. That was one that I missed at, at VIF, and I was really disappointed that I wasn't able to okay. see it there. Uh, yeah,
1: it's a Taiwan film with uh
3: my, Michael, Michael actor. Uh, Michael, Michael who.
1: Way. Like a Way, right? Yeah. Way. <laughs> um, that one, and then yeah, there's another. There's another film called Those Who Remain um, that I have wanted to check out as well. Um, it is a, a Lebanese film about uh, a Christian farmer holding, trying to hold onto the land that he has tilled, and it's kind of set in the the landscape of these various religious factions. It, it's it's gotten some reviews um good reviews that I um saw um and this is by another female um filmmaker she's actually going to be um in attendance at a couple of the SIF screenings on this Thursday and Friday which I won't make to but <laughs> I hope to check it check it out on screener I th-
0: and I think,
1: what about you Sean yeah well, I think
0: I think you would like the Bertrand Travernier my journey through French cinema uh oh yeah I think I think, I think you would do that mm-hmm. uh we have the screener for it. It's uh, it's fun. It's easy to watch. Um, yeah, Tavernier is like a, a, a good storyteller. Uh, I am looking forward to like good Chinese movies. Uh, <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of like potential good ones coming up. There's uh, uh, Godspeed, of course, um, and uh, Love and Duty, the the archival Shanghai film. We were talking about that, but also. Uh, uh, Soul on a String, I think, looks cool. Uh, the Door, Mister Long, and uh, I think Have a Nice Day is also a Chinese films. So. Is that the animated one? Uh, it might be. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know, I when I go through and like make my my schedule, I read about all of the movies, and then like I immediately forget about all of them. So <laughs> don't ask me specifically. Funny. I'm just hoping that like some of them are good and. Uh, One thing I'm really looking forward to is uh, is Columbus, the the film by uh, by Yeah, yeah, me too. uh, Mm -hmm. We just uh, we just got a screener link for that. We got the correct password, so oh, excellent, nice. I I will uh, I will send that to you guys tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to that because I don't think I'll be able to see it in the when it's playing. So I'm going to have to watch something Mm. by screener. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's all uh, for now. It's uh, super late for me. It's past my bedtime. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, if you are wondering where you can find us, uh, it is, uh, the website is seattlescreenscene.com, and we are also all on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd, and uh, you can just go around and give your, your Twitter name to the, the people out there.
3: Uh, Evan, go ahead and start. Oh
2: uh, yeah, I'm at uh, ebmorgan1 on Twitter.
3: Uh, Ryan, uh, Swen underscore Ryan, okay. and Melissa.
1: I am at one April day o n e April day.
0: Not not w- W-O-N, April day. <laughs> no, one in April day,
1: <laughs> and not the number.
0: <laughs>
1: uh,
0: <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm I'm at the end of cinema, and yeah, this has been. Uh, The first of two (laughs) SIF-related Francis Farmer shows. We will be back in two weeks if we are still alive. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for listening.